I am a very poor uh, golfer. I enjoy the game, but I am not good at it. I would probably, uh, the word hacker would probably be quite appropriate. In my little set of clubs that I have, though, I do have a driver that I bought about two years ago from a place you generally don't buy golf clubs, and that was MCC. <laughs> MCC has a large bin in which they put kind of random sporting equipment that people donate, and I happened to be in there, and I saw a driver that looked... Well, obviously, it looked appealing enough to me to buy it, and I did. And so when I play, I, I, I quite often will point out to those just more for humor than anything else that my driver actually came from MCC, and I've actually left the price tag on it. It's $5. Now, some of you may say that might be part of what's wrong with your game, and, and that might be true. A, a couple of months ago when I was looking through Castanet, I happened to notice an advertisement for a, a well-used Ping G15. Now, I must admit, those numbers don't really mean anything to me at all. But I saw it, and I thought Ping was supposed to be a fairly good name in the world of golf. And so I went on Google, and I Googled Ping G15. And... In the description of this club, it said this, you will find this a very forgiving club. And I thought, well, you know what, that's probably what I need. And it's interesting that golf, as an industry, has embraced forgiveness as a marketing tool. It really has that some golf clubs have the technology of forgiveness somehow embedded in them. And they are able, I assume, to help forgive the errors of your swing. And there are times when people, when I'm golfing, who will look, you know, maybe I will have had a, a horrible shot on a certain hole and get to the next hole, and people might say, well, Doug, try this club. Try mine. And I realize that the club is really not the problem at all when it comes to my golf game. But I thought about that notion of forgiveness somehow being embedded in the technology of a golf club. And I thought of that in context of the Christian faith in which that statement would be 100% true. That forgiveness is embedded within the Christian faith. Forgiveness is a gift from the heart of God. The cross is a symbol that speaks to that. And as we extend forgiveness to others, it actually also becomes a gift that we give ourselves. That we are called and we are challenged not simply to occasionally forgive, but to live from a place or live from a heart of forgiveness. 
the Christian faith is God's love expressed through forgiveness. The love of God poured out in the person of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us so that while on our own we should stand condemned in Christ, we stand forgiven. That this morning we are here forgiven by the grace and the forgiveness of a loving God who we can call our Father who art in heaven. Forgiveness is so much more than just a key doctrine of our faith. It lies at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Love and forgiveness walk hand in hand in the kingdom of God. And the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we have been forgiven much. So make sure you're willing to forgive others. Paul, in his many letters to the church, has so often encouraged the people of God, love one another, be willing to forgive one another. Don't live with a heart of unforgiveness. In one verse that I I should have written down the passage, but I didn't. It mentions the word to show forbearance. And I've read that word quite often, not really thinking too much about what that word forbearance actually means. And one definition put it this way. If someone shows forbearance, they have responded in a calm and sensible way in a situation in which they have cause to be upset or angry. And Paul says in a way, you know what? In the church, take it easy on each other. And in one verse he says, make allowance for each other's faults. And I think sometimes we need to make allowance for each other's foibles or idiosyncrasies. Paul says, don't let those things get in the way of who we are as children of God. In order to preserve the oneness, the unity, and the harmony within the church. That in the spiritual kingdom in which we are citizens, in which we are sons and daughters, Paul says we always need to choose forgiveness. It's always sad to hear of those who have allowed hurt and resentment to draw them from the church. But I think to live with the spirit of offense or to harbor bitterness and resentment may be evidence that we haven't fully appreciated the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that God has lavished on us in Jesus. If you think if Jesus had had that same heart, you and I would never have tasted of the goodness of knowing God as our Father. To a criminal hanging beside him, he offered forgiveness and he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. To his executioners, his prayer was, God, forgive these people 
for they know not what they're doing. Paul, in Romans chapter 2, in the first few verses says, and I'm going to paraphrase this, if you, a flawed human being, sit in judgment on those around you and are blind to your own shortcomings, do you think you will somehow escape God's judgment? You are showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness, God's patience, and God's forbearance towards you. Jesus said, you know what? People, and this is especially the religious leaders, he said to them, you have 20-20 vision. When it comes to identifying flaws in others, but you are blind when it comes to your own. If knowing the extent to which we have been forgiven and we refuse to forgive, we are trampling on the cross of Jesus Christ. So Paul says in Colossians 3.13, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. To pray this line in the Lord's Prayer, God forgive us our sins, is not simply a request. It is meant, I believe, to be a prayer of confession. And confession within the Christian faith is actually a declaration And in the Christian faith, confession to me, when I think about it, when I read the New Testament, there are two parts to confession. One of which is directed towards God, and one aspect of confession which truly is inward looking. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth, if you speak it out, if you declare that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a confession, it's like a declaration, a statement that we say to God. And it's about God and it's about who Jesus is. It's the question Jesus asks of all of us, who do you say that I am? But the other aspect of this declaration is inward. That it's a confession that we are flawed people, given often to self, at times given to sin, and we confess before God that we need forgiveness. John, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess, and it's interesting that both of these passages start with those exact three words, if we confess. If we confess our sins, he is just and able to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a confession of who God is and who Jesus is, and it's a confession of our need for him. It's a confession of our need for the cross of Jesus Christ. 
I believe our ability to walk in forgiveness flows from the humility of confession before God. That if we truly are willing to humble ourselves before Almighty God and realize how much he has forgiven us, we cannot help but forgive those around us. The cross is God's response to our inability to make good on a debt of righteousness we cannot even come close to paying. Our best stands out, according to the Bible, like a very conspicuous stain on a white shirt. It's the best that we can muster in terms of our own righteousness. And we need to say with Paul, God, I acknowledge in terms of righteousness, I have nothing of my own to put on display. And as Paul said, I will boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer takes forgiveness and applies it to all of our relationships. In the same way that forgiveness reigns in our relationship to God, that we truly are covered with the righteousness of Jesus and the forgiveness of God, Jesus would say forgiveness also needs to reign in your relationship with one another. And it is supposed to reign in those who have done us wrong. That even in those situations we are called to forgive. Forgiveness, I would say, is a stream flowing throughout the entire narrative of the Bible. Reflecting God's heart for his creation. The story of a faithful, forgiving God in the face of often an unfaithful and at times openly rebellious people. And yet when they turned to God, God forgave them. It's interesting when Peter had a conversation about forgiveness with Jesus. About how many times should we be willing to forgive? And Peter suggested seven. Would seven be enough? And my guess would be that when Peter suggested, should we forgive someone seven times, he probably thought he was being generous. And when Jesus replied, well, you know what, Peter? How about 70 times seven? And Peter may well have thought Jesus was joking. In a way, Peter's question was asking, at what point can I choose to become unforgiving? At what point can I choose to put on bitterness? At what point can I start to take offense? And Jesus would say to Peter, Peter, you're missing my message. 
we need to be people who forgive. The position of our hearts need to be at a place of forgiveness. You know, even if I took the 70 times 7 literally, in 490 days, my own quota of forgiveness would have expired. It's not a very long time. The reality is we need a God who is willing to forgive us day after day after day after day. Forgive one another in the same way that God has forgiven you. Is it possible to choose unforgiveness? Is it possible to choose resentment and bitterness? Will God really withdraw his forgiveness from me? I think it's a very dangerous question to ask. And I think it's a very dangerous place for anyone's heart to be. And I assume that the answer is yes. That you can live at a place of resentment, you can live at a place of bitterness, you can live at a place that you are quick to take offense, but you are walking on dangerous ground. You are trampling on the holy ground that has forgiven you. Mark eleven twenty five to 26 says this, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. It's a verse sometimes I feel like, well, we need to interpret that because it sounds a bit harsh. But it's there. The call of God for us to be forgiving people. One thing I do know that if we choose forgiveness in our relationships with one another, we will actually experience the assurance and the peace of God's forgiveness to us. And I think if you harbor bitterness, you harbor resentment, it will be almost impossible for you to truly taste of the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus. That forgiveness is actually meant to free us. A couple of Sundays ago, and uh, Sunday afternoon, I was listening to a program on CBC. I think it was called um, The Last Chapter. And it was an interview of a, of a man uh, named Mark Sakamoto who had written a book entitled Forgiveness, and he called it kind of a gift 
from his grandparents that his grandparents gave to their family and to him personally. I don't generally look to CBC to provide me with religious programming or religious input. That would not be in their mandate. But the more I listened to this interview, the more I thought, this is the kind of forgiveness that Jesus speaks about. And I'm going to play um, a little over four minutes of it, and I'm just going to invite you to listen. I want to give just a wee bit of background. On on Mark Sakamoto's paternal side, his grandfather, his grandfather's name was Ralph McLean. And Ralph McLean uh, grew up in the Magdalene Islands, which are in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And during the Second War, he was shipped to Hong Kong. And very, very quickly after his deployment was captured by the Japanese and spent the next four to five years in a Japanese POW camp. Horrendous conditions. On his maternal side, his grandmother Mitsui Sakamoto was born in Vancouver. And during the Second World War, along with about 20,000 other Japanese, many of them Japanese-born Canadians, were rounded up, in many of them in Hastings Park, I think, which is the site of the P&E. Their property was confiscated, their homes were confiscated, their businesses were confiscated, and they were shipped out. Many of them went to uh, the Kootenays. They were shipped to places like Slocan or New Denver or Caslow. And if you walk through any little museum in those towns, you will read about uh, these people who, for no reason other than the fact that they were Japanese, were said, you can't, can't live here. Some of them went to southern Alberta near Lethbridge, near Coaldale, and worked as... Uh, essentially servants on farms. And so that's the background to the life of his grandparents, both of whom you could say suffered huge injustice. And yet they did not allow that injustice to define them, and they did not allow that injustice or bitterness to be passed on to their children. So I'm just going to invite you, I hope it's okay with you, just to listen to Mark Sakamoto talk about forgiveness. When I, when I started writing, you know, forgiveness for me, I have a, a legal background, and I, I sort of came to the book with, or came to this project with the thought of forgiveness being transactional and between two parties. And rear view mirror looking. Mm -hmm. And I was completely wrong. Forgiveness has nothing to do with any of that. It, it, it has very little to do with the other person. It has nothing to do with the past. And um, it's actually singularly personal. 
it allows the person to pivot and not carry around those um, those grievances um, and live uh, with an open heart tomorrow. And so, so that's what they were able to to use forgiveness for. It was it was it was their escape hatch into a future that was worth living. And um, and it was very future driven for both of them. And it was very uh, it was focused on their children. They 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 understood that their hearts were their children's emotional home. And to that end, they had to clean it up uh, or they'd pass those transgressions on. And that would be the worst surrender that that was imaginable. So they just refused to do it. And forgiveness was the way that they genuinely cleansed their heart and moved on. I, I find that fascinating. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about uh, a concept which is talked about a great deal now, and it's a concept I, I believe in, and that's inherited trauma. Yeah. And maybe they just really didn't want you to inherit this trauma. Absolutely. I mean, we bequeath uh, a lot onto future generations, and we see inherited trauma, I think, uh, throughout this country in, in, in many ways, really tragic ways. And at a, at a personal level, they were uh, determined not to pass those transgressions and those injurious years on uh, so that uh, their children could go on and, um, well, go on and marry somebody that looked exactly like the, the people that, that were um, their violators in, in many respects. Uh, I mean, I, I am a, a walking proof. Uh, it was the finest gift uh, that was ever given their forgiveness uh, to me because I would simply wouldn't exist without it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you about uh, their concepts of forgiveness. There is a part uh, in when you're talking about your, your grandpa, Ralph, how uh, he receives, there's a care package and yeah. in it there's a Bible yeah. and he opens the Bible runs his fingers across a single passage from the gospel according to Mark. And it's, it's, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And that plays right into his life. Not very many days later, but how much do you think that kind of forgiveness, uh, you know, looking out for the future was a part of his thinking? Yeah, isn't that a beautiful passage? Um, it is. I yeah. actually had no idea that that was uh, a part of his story, um, and I, uh, because uh, my mom has since passed away, I actually have no idea whether uh, there's any correlation between that passage and uh, my name. But mm. I do think that if Ralph's father was uh, sort of uh, a dark presence in his life, his mother was the light of his life. And she made sure that all of her children were uh, right with uh, her God. I, I don't think my grandpa went into the war as a, an extremely religious man, but I know he left with an unbiding faith that has stayed with him. So I think for my grandpa in particular, the notion of forgiveness is wrapped up in faith because as he got on to the boat leaving Japan, mm-hmm. he left with an open heart. In fact, he saw on the uh, the railway track as he was leaving, he had an encounter with the commandant that was the, the main guard of uh, his last prison camp. And he wasn't filled with rage, uh, which you'd, you'd think um, he would be. Um, I, I don't think he was filled with, with love either, but mm-hmm. he, he was leaving that place with light in his heart. And I, I, I don't know how that's possible, but he did. 
sometimes hearing about forgiveness in, from a different voice in a different situation helps us understand it more clearly. And just a comment about, for his grandfather, the fact that forgiveness was 100% wrapped up in his faith. That we have a forgiving Heavenly Father and we are to be forgiving sons and daughters. Forgiveness at times is something we need to extend at a certain point, perhaps to a specific person, maybe in the context of our homes or our marriages, maybe within our jobs or even within the church, there are times where we need to seek forgiveness in a very specific way to a very specific person. But I think when I listen and when I read that forgiveness is actually more than that, that forgiveness is to be um, where our heart sits and rests. That we are called to be people with a forgiving heart. It's our position in Christ that we are forgiven and it needs to be the dwelling place of our heart. A heart that does not keep account of wrongs, a heart that chooses not to revisit old wounds, a heart that is slow to take offense and quick to forgive. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. May the Spirit of God move us in that direction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the cross of Christ. Father, we know when we look into our own lives how much we need the forgiveness of a loving God. Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would truly be willing to confess our sins daily and drink from the fountain of forgiveness that you offer. That we would truly, Father, live with that freedom of being forgiven. And then, Father, help us to truly live our lives as people who are willing to forgive others. That there is freedom that we can experience. There's even freedom that we can give to others that simply comes from a heart of forgiveness. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would move us to that place as individuals, that, Father, that would be who we would be as a church. So we give thanks for the cross of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.